when I say what we're going to teach on today, some of you are going to be like, oh, okay. But it is so, it's such a staple in what we believe as a church and really what we've been commissioned to do as believers. Today, we're going to talk about living a missional life. We're going to talk about, about, you know, being equipped to go do the work of the ministry as believers. Uh, You could even call it evangelism. You've probably heard it in many different ways, but that's what we're going to lean into today. We're going to start by reading out of 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18. It says, and all of this, when it says this, he's talking about the gospel, the good news about Jesus. He said, "It's, it's all a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. Now, a lot of times we might read a scripture like this and sort of just gloss over it and be like, okay, that's good. But I think it's so important that we actually lean into what, this is, what this, these scriptures are really saying because we've got to get this first part right before we get to how we're gonna go out into the world and preach the good news, we gotta know what the good news is, right? right? Like, I'm gonna go out and preach the gospel, and then we, we go out and we preach a, a form of the gospel or like a, a part of it, but then it's like, wait, that doesn't really reconcile with the word well, and so therefore, if it doesn't reconcile, <laughs> if what we're preaching doesn't reconcile with what the word of God says, then how can what the word of God says reconcile men back to him, it, it, back to God? It, it, there's a, a break in the chain. We've got to know some things very well, and we've got to lean into them as believers. And so whenever he says, all of this is a, is a gift from God, first off, you've got to realize that the gospel message, which we're going to dig into, this whole thing is a gift from God. Now, guys, look, when somebody gives you a gift, it's a gift. They're not, they don't give you the gift and then stand there and like, are you going to, eh? You know, kind of like Home Alone, whenever the, <laughs> the guy drops him off in the hotel, then he stands there and he's like, Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> that came out of nowhere. Anyway, um, but you know what I'm talking about, all right? It's just like, like this, okay, all right. No, 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 it's a free gift. He wouldn't use that word if it wasn't a gift, all right? And so, so let's start with this, this mindset. And what it is, is, is God brought us back to himself through Christ. Notice there's not a lot of us and we and what I did to deserve in these, these verses, okay? <laughs> this is so important. It's, it's God wanted to be reconciled with us. He, he, it's, go back to the beginning. It's a story about God wanting to be reconciled with mankind, his creation. He, that's how much he loved us. It's why the tabernacle even happened. God wanted to be among his people, and that's why he sent Jesus to come back into right standing with one another because he loves us, and he did this through Christ. And it says God has given us now, believers, those of us who trust in this, he's given us this, this task of reconciling people to himself. But the last part of verse 19 says, no longer counting people's sins against them. And this word sin is mentioned. And there's a lot of misunderstanding when it comes to sins and sin and the, you know, what we do versus who we are. You see, the big idea is we've got to realize, step one, is that we are born like into sin. It's something, it's a condition that we have, we're born into. It's not something that you did whenever you were two or five or 15 that all of a sudden birthed sin and this separation between you and God. It was something that was from the, the start, 
Some of you, you look at your little, like I have a, have an, uh, a one-year-old. She just turned one and I look at her and I was just holding her in the back and like, she's just awesome. Like there's nothing evil in her, right? Just wait about eight more months, you know? This demonic thing takes place and all of a sudden she just, this will, this selfishness begins to reveal itself and I'm like, you're not my child. But she is, you know, because she, she, it, 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 she, she something happened where, where I passed on to her who I am, which is sinful, right? You know, you're like, oh, you're a pastor. Yeah, I'm sinful, all right? Because we're all born with this, this core issue of sin. And if we don't believe that, guys, if, if we believe that there's some ounce of good and some sort of righteousness in us at birth, then it negates everything that we're gonna talk about and also it negates the reason that we would feel that we would need to go out and preach the good news. Because here's the deal. If there's something in me where I can do enough good to like reach this some sort of standard of righteousness before God, if I think that I can do that in my own self, then why did Jesus come? What was the point of that? I'll give you an answer. There was no point. There was no point. You see, this is what, this is what self-righteousness looks like. It looks like I have something to offer to this equation to get into right standing with God where I can act a certain way or I could do a certain list of rules and regulations and then I, at some point I will reach a place where I'm good enough to get God. And that's religion, it's deception, it's anti-Christ, it's not the message, it's not, it's not truth. And we've gotta throw ourselves into this truth, y'all. And if we don't start there, then it negates, it literally negates the Christian life. It negates it. Because y'all, if there's any way, shape, or form other than Christ that we could get into right standing with God, then why did Jesus say he's the way, the truth, the life? Well, like, there's so many questions that it brings up. We've got to start with this very core issue. It's how good God is and how big his grace is, how great it is how matchless, like, like it starts at this moment that he, he loved you while you were yet, what? In sin, not in Christ, in sin. I'm gonna knock this thing all over the place. This is what's gonna happen, <laughs> you know? So I put the cap on it because I know I'm gonna spill it at some point, but it starts with this, this concept, this understanding of this condition of sin, not based on, on anything we can we can do. So, so if that's the case, then how are we reconciled to God? How is that bridge built? Well, Romans 3, we're going to kind of steal from a few weeks uh, we're, we're about to get to and kind of bring it into today. I love the way that Romans 3 just lays it out so clearly. Verse 22 says, we are made right with God. We are made righteous before God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. That was kind of simple. Period. There's a period right there. Like, all right, but what do I have to do? <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't say anything yet. It says, this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. No matter your background, no matter if your parents were Christian or not, no matter what you, you've experienced, no matter the, the, the bigness of your sins or the smallness of your sins, it, like, it, none of that matters, no matter who you are. Verse 23, for everyone is sinned. We've all fall short of the God's glorious standard. And now we love that scripture. Lost people, saved people, people that, like we love that scripture. Why? 
Because I think that we tend to use that scripture in sort of this justifying way. Like, like whenever, as a believer, we really mess it up. And you say, well, we've all fallen short, right? And we lean into it, but we don't lean into it with, with the whole scope of all that it says, but we lean into it for the moment of self-justification, right? It doesn't produce brokenness and humility in us. It produces some sort of justification that like, oh, it's okay. It's not. But that's what I'm saying. We, we, we tend to tilt that scripture at times. Well, we've all fallen short. That is true. It just depends how you're using that. And he goes on and he says, yet God. How many of y'all love the but God moments, the yet God, right? Like, like it's, it's, where, it's where you read the scripture and there's a heaviness that comes upon you of just, oh my gosh, this is terrible, right? And you're like, some scriptures leave you hanging. They, it never resolves itself and it just leaves you with this, like, I love the book of Ecclesiastes. It's just kind of like, <laughs> party pooper, right? I'm like, but this guy is right. Everything is meaningless. You, know? <laughs> uh, you should read Ecclesiastes. It's a, it's a really good book. It puts everything in perspective. But, but there's these but God, yet God moments. Yet God in his grace, which is something... If there was something we could do to deserve the grace of God, then it would not be grace, all right? It would not be grace. It, 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 it messes the whole thing up. We've got to start here. His grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. This, the gospel is so one-sided, this truth, is, it's so one-sided. It's so much God doing the work, God sending his son to die for us, for free, as a gift. It's just, and some of you might be squirming a little bit because you're waiting for the other shoe to fall. Like you're waiting for the other step in the equation of us being righteous, which is, yeah, but, but we have to also do this. It's not true. That's not what makes us righteous. Yes, putting our, throwing our faith and our trust into this truth, that right there. By the way, it is something that God does in us. It's a revelation from his spirit. It's not just like this equation, right? We like to make things equations. We like to make things like something that we can touch and feel because then we have something to do <laughs> because we love to do stuff because we're so law-driven in our mind. But the gospel, like this truth right here, it, it just, it annihilates self-righteousness. It annihilates it. And it's so good. It's so good. See, as a, as a believer, a, a person, and, and honestly, an unbeliever, there should be some hope welling up inside of you right now. Because that's what the truth does. The truth sets you free. The yoke of Jesus is easy. It's light. It's not a burden. Because he's, he's done it all. And if we don't start here, again, if we don't start with this, eventually we won't care to tell other people about it because it's not gonna be real. It's not gonna cause joy in our hearts. So why would we wanna give, give somebody else a, a message that hasn't produced joy in our heart? It's his righteousness, not yours. And so anyway, that's the, that's the big idea is, is of this leaning into and trusting in the fact that we are born in this condition but then Jesus came, paid the price for it, right? Y'all with me? Okay, so let's, let's continue. 
2 Corinthians 5, 19 goes on and it says this, and, and God gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. Now, whenever I say wonderful message of reconciliation, <clears throat> the, the message of reconciliation is wonderful, not the message of what happens if you are not reconciled. The message of if you're not reconciled with God is actually a really negative ending, which is complete and utter destruction of every part of your life here, now, and, and, and actually mostly, more importantly, in the future, which is hell, complete separation from God with no hope of return. That is actually the, the flip-flop side of the me wonderful message of reconciliation, that there is a way out, that there is a caveat by the grace of God. But then over here, the other side is, yeah, but because of that grace, the other side of the pendulum is there's also the wrath of God and the judgment of God. And next week, we're gonna really, really delve into this. I'd encourage you guys to come back. And, and actually, I'd encourage you guys to, to start reading the book of Romans on your own. Just read a chapter a week. And what I mean by that is read the same chapter every day for a week. Because <laughs> you're gonna read certain things and be like, huh? And then like, you have to reread it. And then you have to read it like in another translation. You gotta get another angle on it. And then there's a word that you don't even know what it means. So then you gotta go look what that word means. And then all of a sudden, it starts becoming alive to you. And then everything starts making sense and God reveals his truth and his grace and all of a sudden it changes you from the inside out, right? Like that's what studying the word of God does is, is it illuminates truth in your life. It's, it's a wonderful thing. So he says he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. Now here's the deal, guys. As believers, and again, we're talking about, about you know, living a missional life, you know good and well that there's both sides of the story. There's a part A and a part B. There's a side one, side two, right? There's this... There's this wonderful message of reconciliation, and there's also this one, horrible message of destruction. But the Bible says that the kindness of God brings people to repentance. And I think one thing that people misconstrue is the fact that God gave us a wonderful message of reconciliation to lead the way, not leading the way with a horrible message of destruction. I mean, John the Baptist, repent for the kingdom of God. Yes, yes, I know. But as believers, we lean into the kindness of God. We lean into the grace of God is able to cover any sort of, of curse, any sort of sin. So we lean into that. And the Bible says that that is gonna work with those that it's supposed to work with, right? Like that's what the Bible says. Like it is good enough. Like the grace of God is sufficient to lead the way. So I want us to lean into that, that message of reconciliation. Verse 20, he says, so we, all of us in this place today, we as believers are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ whenever we plead, come back to God. Appeal is a word that is used in uh, court, the court systems, right, appeal. And you know, an appeal takes place after someone has already been convicted of something a lot of times, right? I'm not a lawyer, but I've watched a lot of movies. And, you know, so you have the ap appeal process, right? So here, here's the situation, guys. The gavel has already been dropped in regards to, like the jury has already said its verdict. We've been convicted. We've been labeled guilty. As, as human beings, like that's already happened, happened many, many years ago. And then it says here that like almost the appeal process has begun. God is making his appeal through us. 
his appeal to people. Because guess what? There's still time. The, the, the end judgment has not happened. And so here we are in this, this time between the, the, the conviction being given, right? And we're in between that and, and the moment of condemnation and judgment that's at the end when everything gets wrapped up. We're in this time where God is leaning into us as his ambassadors, making his appeal through us. We, check this out, guys. We speak for Christ whenever we plead, come back to God. Not forcing people to come back to God. Also, not expecting people who haven't come back to God, who haven't had a real revelation of all that we're talking about, to act like they have come back to God. That's where we get jacked up as well. Is we want people who are not reconciled with God to act like they are. And honestly, the best that we could do is form more religion and more religious followers of Jesus, which is exactly what the Pharisees accidentally did for years. It's we got to start on the right foot or everything else that we do and say and the way that we act and the way that we see God and the way that we display. And as we're a mouthpiece for Christ, it all breaks apart. But we have been given this message. We've been given this mantle, this responsibility to walk well in front of people for the sake of Christ, to walk well in his authority and in his name. That's why the conduct of us as believers matters. It matters a lot because we're representing Christ. We're no longer representing our own opinions. We're no longer representing our own experience. We're no longer, it's not just me giving you my opinion. I can't do that anymore. I now have to realize that I, I have been given this message and by that, by that, 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 that confession, I'm now, I have to be obedient to my Lord and Savior. And so it doesn't matter if what I think doesn't do that well, I gotta rethink my approach. If what I'm about to say doesn't come into alignment with what the word of God says, I can't say what I want to say. Why? Because I'm a slave to righteousness. I'm a slave to Jesus. Can we all with me? This matters, y'all. This is a big deal. So we're ambassadors. He's making our appeal through us. We're speaking for Christ. In verse, uh, chapter four of Ephesians, he says, so Christ gave, uh, himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. I'd like to continue to kind of try to erode this thinking that um, you only step into one of these roles whenever you start getting paid full time and you stand on a, in a, in a place like a, a, a platform, right? And you got the label of pastor or evangelist um, and all of these things. Like he's given us those gifts. There's pastors all up in this place. There's evangelists all up in this place, right? There's teachers all, all, what do you think small group leaders are? They're people who are pastoral and they want to teach and they have this thing in them. They're just, they, they've got to, they've got to, play that out. Why? Because God's designed them that way. So all of us, this is us, y'all. So we together, by the gifts that God has given us, we play this thing out and we are a part of building the body of Christ. By, by helping those who are lost find Jesus, right? Find their way and, and understand what the gospel is and that they can lean into it. And then we're also responsible, we're also gifted to help those saved people get trained and equipped to then do what? 
go do the same thing. That's what this is. It's very simple. It's very, it's, and it's repetitive, right? It's what we've been, we've been called to do this. So if we're, if we're you know, equipped and, and my job is to equip you and we're supposed to equip one another and all this kind of stuff, what are we equipped with, right? It's, I'm, I am equipped. <laughs> you just say that? I'm equipped. What am I equipped with to actually go and, and carry out what we're talking about and communicate this great, wonderful message of reconciliation? Well, I'm gonna give you two things. The first thing is this. As a believer, you are equipped with your story. Your story, the word of your testimony, the story that you have lived, the experiences that you have, the moment that, you, that, that, that the gospel was revealed to you, that, 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 that whole journey up until that moment, all of it now, from, from when that happened, you, you met Jesus all the way to now, like your story, like that is a huge tool, a huge weapon in your hand that you are equipped with that nobody else has. It's awesome, right? You get, so and I want to show you how awesome it is. There's a story that I want to share with you right now. And it's a story that I believe many of you maybe are living at this time or you have lived. And I want to show you whenever you share your story, what it can produce in the hearts of people. I grew up in a pretty traditional home. My dad worked and my mom stayed home. However, my dad had a drinking problem. This one, this one was good. What's funny is this is the actual place where I was, where I would, the bar that I would hide my dad's booze and stuff underneath. Like that's what I see when I see that picture. He would get angry whenever he couldn't find the liquor. And of course, I'd have to give it back to him. I didn't know, you know, what to expect when he would come home late at night, drunk and angry at my mother and I. Finally, one day, we left a note on the table and we went to go live with my uncle for a little bit. My dad ended up coming home drunk that night and he ended up destroying everything we had. He ripped the furniture with knives. He broke every glass plate, dish in the entire home. He had also cut out all the pictures of my mother um, and I. This was a birthday party. And then this one was a picture of me, my mom, and dad seeing Santa Claus. And then this one is probably Easter that he had cut at my mom out. So I don't have too many pictures of my mom and I. You know, I wasn't really sure that we were gonna be able to forgive him. However, my mom spoke to him on her own and then she came to me and said, he's agreed to put down the alcohol. And so as long as, you know, I knew he was willing to try, I knew that I could forgive him and try to. I knew that we needed to be in church and so, we ended up going to a church. And it was after that we had, after I had been saved and we'd started going to church and then we had some family pictures taken again. So that way I would have some memories with my mom. My dad rededicated his life to Christ short, like shortly after that. My dad 
stayed very faithful to not drinking, which was huge for us. I mean, it was a life-changing experience. You know, we realized then that being a part of a community and a church and having God in our life made all the difference in the world. This November actually makes 37 years that they've been married and they they definitely have been fighting for one another and rededicating their life to God and getting plugged into a church has made a world of difference in them sticking it out and really just trying to, you know, focus their marriage on God. I think, number one, that a lot of you found your life in that story, maybe currently or in the past. And there's something powerful about whenever you share your story. Again, your unique experience with God is that people who are in that same scenario, they find hope in hearing your story. There's something that, that begins to break down the fibers of that stronghold in their life. Many of you maybe have been, or maybe you are right now, you're stuck in alcoholism. It's a part of your life. It's a stronghold. Maybe you grew up in it, and now you're doing it, and now you see your kids. This generational curse is taking place, and you feel like there's no hope. And then you see somebody who is right where, maybe even worse, then where you're at, and then you're like, man, there's hope. There's hope in Jesus that this, isn't, this doesn't define me. You see, what happens whenever you share your story and, and you give glory to God, what it does is it, it gives people faith in the, 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 the possibility and in the hope of the power of God that the same thing that happened for you can happen for them. And what happens sometimes, we hold on to our story we don't want to tell people. We don't want to, we don't want to communicate it. I mean, a video like this is very transparent, all right? But even when it comes to in church, we come to maybe come to a new church and we don't want people to know our past. Why? Because the enemy is using our past, is using our story against us, shaming us, bringing fear, bringing condemnation, which is, which is the best thing that he can do. Here's what's incredible about the enemy, y'all. You ready? The enemy condemns people even though he doesn't have the authority to do it. <laughs> That's a really good thought, and many of you, I'm going to say it again because maybe you're late, huh? The enemy condemns you, but he doesn't have the authority to actually condemn you. It's almost like you're in a, a court setting and a person that's in the crowd just stands up and, and, and says... He's guilty and he gets the death penalty. And everybody just goes, huh? Hey, who is this guy? Get him out of here. You know, just like, right? That, that's what happens in the moments where, where you are, are following Jesus and all of a sudden, like that thought of, yeah, but you remember back whenever you, and all of a sudden that weight and that fear and that shame, just like it's the day it happened, comes back and it hampers you and you lose confidence and, and you lose sight. Look, at, no, it's no different than Peter stepping out and walking on water and then all of a sudden he gets distracted. He takes his eyes off of Jesus. What happens is Jesus has set you free. You're doing things miraculously. You're being healed. You're moving forward. And the enemy's like, yeah, 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 but remember this. And you take your eyes off and then all of a sudden you start sinking again. 
because you've taken your eyes off the grace, the power. He's the source of power, not you. And y'all, look, you gotta stay focused on that. Don't let the enemy shame you. Don't let him shame you. He doesn't have the authority. It doesn't matter how bad or how good you've been, none of that matters. Even if you've made a decision to follow Jesus, you could say it's happened 10 times, whatever, and, and, and you feel like you've, you've fallen away, right? Like, like there's been some sort of separation. I'm not here to condemn you. I'm not here to tell you that, like, you know, I'm not here. I don't have the authority to say you're saved or not. That's not, God has set me free from that, right? <laughs> he set us all free from that. We don't have to, we don't have to worry about that. He's the, he's the one that makes those decisions. But what I can say with full confidence is that his grace is sufficient, and where sin is, his grace abounds more. I can't say that. And I can't say that God's hand of grace is still extended to you, no matter your story, no matter how many times, right? No matter how many bad decisions. That's what I can say. And let that permeate your heart. Let it destroy shame. Let it destroy fear. Let a story like this, that, 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 guys, there's something that, there's some things that have taken people 30 years to break free from. And we see a story in five minutes and we say, that should be me right now. And if it, if it, if it, if it doesn't happen in my life, then, then I'm doing something wrong. I don't have enough faith or I don't have enough this or that. And for many people, they quit God because they think that that faith, that, that, that righteousness, they have something to do with it, not realizing that Jesus paid it all. And we're not having a conditional, uh, condition of sin conversation. We're having a, the, the conduct of a believer. We're having a conversation about sanctification and, and becoming more holy. And yes, that is a reality in the life of a believer is that we desire holiness. It's a fruit in our life that we desire to draw closer to God. And do we get it right all the time? No, that's where grace abounds. We've got to, we got to throw ourselves into this, y'all. We've got to truly trust that God's grace is sufficient for us to make us righteous in his sight. And we had nothing to do with it. Because if we don't, it erodes the gospel. It trample, that tramples the grace of Jesus. That removes the power of the cross and his resurrection. That's what does it. Because you can't, you can't negate it without self-righteousness coming into play can't. This is, that, this is good news, by the way. This is good news. This is life. This is truth. You feel that? There's, there's a faith rising up in some, some of you because you realize, oh my goodness, I've been condemned by uh, uh, Satan who doesn't have the power in the first place. Oh my goodness. And you're starting to replay all those moments in your life where, where you were trying to reach out and grab on to God and, and, and seek him and, and, and draw closer to his presence. Some of you this morning, you walked in the room and you couldn't raise your hands. I'm talking about believers right now. You walk into the room, you believe in Jesus, you've had these experiences, but there's something inside of you that whenever you went to lift your hands and pray, something gripped you and stopped you. Gripped you. Fear, shame. Yeah, remember what you did last night. You know what, there comes a time, yes, where we should remember what we did last night. We should remember it. And yes, we should, we should feel this, this, that wasn't good enough, that wasn't right. I'm a believer, I can do better, but I can do better because of God's grace. 
because of his love for me. And that's where the condemnation stops. It's conviction is good. Conviction does tug us and pull us closer into what God desires us to be. But it's not conviction with uh, this rod that's coming down on you. That's judgment. And that will happen to those who disregard the grace of God at some point. But right now, God's a good father. And he loves his children. He disciplines his children. But it's in love and grace. And there's hope and life and joy on the other side. It's good. It's good. You're equipped with your story. I want to go to number two. As a believer, you are equipped with your theology, your understanding. Number one, you're equipped with your story, your experience with God. That's something that is tailor-made for you that nobody can redefine, nobody can reconstruct. It happened in your life, and it's something that, that used to cause fear and shame, but now it causes joy. But guess what? Also, as a believer, we're equipped with our theology, which is our understanding intellectually understanding by the grace of God, revealing it to us, this truth, but being able to, to make a defense, to understand why we believe what we believe. A lot of people know what they believe. A lot of people know what they believe, but they have no clue why they believe it. It's the same reason why a lot of people are Republican or Democrat and they have no clue why. I was born into a Republican family and that's what, I'm, that's what we do. You know, and it's like, you know, then all of a sudden you get into it and you're like, you know, I don't, I don't, think, I don't think I'm a Republican. I don't know if I'm a Republican, actually. I might be somewhere in the middle, you know, but I've always said that I was a Republican, so I have to continue to be one because I've said that. Like, I'm just bringing an example. I could go the other way with it. Some of you are like, he's mocking. You got to relax a little bit, guys. Come on, don't take yourself so seriously, you know. 70 years ago, if you said you were a Republican, it meant something completely different than it does now, by the way, just in case you don't know that. But... You know, it, it's true. We, we, we just start believing something. We start quoting something and saying something. And a lot of times we don't even know why we're saying it. We know what, we know what we stand for. We don't know why we stand for it. We kind of understand why we stand for certain things. Whenever we say the grace of God, what do we actually mean? Do we mean the grace of God unless you do this? <laughs> you can't. It's not grace at that point. See what I'm saying? You got to know what you believe to be able to stand on it. And then when you understand it and you've experienced it and it's, it meant, meant God is welling up inside of you and, and it's just, yes. Then there's this thing that happens where you want to tell other people. You want, it. you want to bring this wonderful message of reconciliation. You're looking at every angle, politically, socially, relationally. You're looking at all of it from this angle of the good news of Jesus and it renovates the way that you react. It renovates the way that you think. It, it renovates all of it. Your marriage, some of you are like, my marriage is terrible, I need Jesus. No, you need Jesus. Right. <laughs> Not because your marriage needs healing. You need Jesus. See, that's another problem is a lot of people think that things are good, so therefore I don't need God. Like my, my marriage is actually good. My finances are, are, are good. I, I, all of these things, and they put up all their, they taunt all of their, self-righteousness, and they don't need God. And Paul said, that, that, all that stuff is filthy rags, man. It's useless. But yet we taunt it, and we're like, yeah, but, but look how good I'm being. And, and, and honestly, as believers, sometimes we can look at people's lives, and we can see that goodness, and we can say, well, I guess they're doing okay. They don't need Jesus. I mean, uh, everything's good, so I guess I don't really need to push this whole message of reconciliation because things haven't fallen apart yet. Things fell apart with Adam and Eve, guys. That's where it fell apart. 
<laughs> I mean, right? That's, we've got to realize that. Look, guys, I could be driving through an intersection and not know that the semi is about to T-bone me because I just ran a red light. I have no clue. I'm just listening to music, laughing, and then, right? I don't know that I'm in danger. Does it make it any less dangerous? Absolutely not. There's people that are living life. They're in a nice car. They're in this or that, and they, they think everything's good. There's a semi that's coming. We see the semi. We see it. And it's our job in love and grace to give them a heads up. That's what, that's what this is. If we believe it. But if you start thinking that somebody's life's doing good, therefore they don't need God, you are trapped and, and just entrenched in workspace Christianity. And you don't realize it, but you are treading underneath your feet the grace of God in your own personal life because it's not based on your account. It's not based on, on your bank account, your, your, how good things are. It's not based on that. We gotta start on the right foot. You're equipped with your theology. Second Peter says, you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away. Y'all listen to this, that you're not, this is to us, we're beloved believers, that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability your own stability. He says, but grow in the grace. I love how he says the grace and the knowledge. Grow in your understanding of the, you got to grow in grace and your knowledge of the grace. You got to grow in your knowledge, the grace and knowledge of Jesus. Grow in the grace of Jesus and the knowledge of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Lord and Savior, both and. He is fully gracious and he is our Savior. But at the same time, whenever we accept that, we also have to accept him as Lord of our life, ruler. And in that, in understanding him as Savior, we are humbled and broken and our hands go up in complete adoration of, wow, you saved us. And then on the other end of the spectrum, because of that, he's gotta be our Lord. If you love him, you'll keep his commandments. If you understand his grace, the commands of God are like a given, like you're cool with that because you realize that, that without the first step, there would be no second. Without his grace, there's only judgment. You realize this, and so you continue to grow in this grace, and it happens a lot of times by growing in your knowledge. You gotta experience God, but you gotta understand him as well. Some people start from a place of knowledge and intellect and they learn about God and then they, they find themselves at a place where they, they, they trust Jesus. And then other people start at a place where they know nothing about Jesus <laughs> and they find themselves at a place where they make a decision to follow Jesus. It doesn't matter where you are in the spectrum, you gotta continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. All of us need to continue. It doesn't matter how many times you've read the Bible. I grew up in church, y'all. Sunday school, the whole nine yards, three services a week, listened to preaching my whole life. And I feel like in the last couple of years that I actually know God in a completely different way. Because there were so many things growing up that didn't make sense. There were so many things that I couldn't reconcile. So many things I'm just like, yeah, but, but this, uh, can I be honest with you? There were certain things, certain teachings, and I'm not saying necessarily from this house, but just, just overall, that that kind of faith and that kind of belief did not stand up to tragedy in your life. Like, like, if you come to God, he'll fix everything. I just saw that that didn't happen. And like, if the gospel of Jesus can't withstand a martyr, it can't withstand a tragedy in your life, if, it, if like that type of faith can't go through that type of situation and still be standing, then it's not worth it. 
And that's where I was at. Like, this doesn't make sense. I'm singing these songs, but like, there's some, I was missing something. And then by God's grace, he began to display himself and, and reveal truth. And then all of a sudden, you know, a few years ago, I grabbed onto a, a message that could stand through all of those trials. Not that I was going through them personally. I haven't lost a loved one that was close to me. I haven't had a disease. I haven't had, a, but I was watching people walk through things and I'm like, what is it that they have that's able to stand? Because I don't know that what I have is able to stand that. And that produced a fear and a hunger in me to actually say, but what does? What kind of faith will? And it starts with this right here. We gotta realize how far we are from God to realize that we even need to be close, that we need to be reconciled with him, right? Second Timothy three says this, all scripture is breathed out or inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness. 17, that the man of God, the woman of God, that we may be complete, competent, equipped with every good work. The second piece is the good work. The first piece is realizing our need for God throwing ourselves at his feet to receive his grace, his mercy, and his righteousness, that then we could rise from that position clothed in his righteousness and live a life that's worthy and holy and, and good and that God would receive the glory for it, the credit, the praise, the honor. Many people in this place today, you came to church and you've been confronted with the gospel and and before you walk out of this place, there needs to be a moment for you to be able to say yes or no to this good news. I've displayed it, I've given it to you to the best of my ability. And at this moment, God's holding his hand out to you directly and saying, I'm still here, I still love you. I've got a, I've got a better life right now, but I've got a much better life in the future for you. But you gotta throw all that you are at my feet. You gotta, you gotta give it all. Can you, can you bow your heads and close your eyes? And if you're in this place today and you know that you're far from God, you realize that there's this gap and you thought that you could do some things in order to make it right. And, and even if you've made this decision a lot, but you realize that you made the decision based upon some sort of self-righteous, uh, accidentally, some sort of self-righteous approach and you thought that, that you... Like you had a part to play in this, this moment of salvation and this free gift of salvation. And, and today you see it from a new angle. This is for you as well. I'm not gonna lead you in some sort of ritualistic thing. I'm not gonna try to put words in your mouth, but I am gonna encourage you to surrender your heart and your life to Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith God placed faith inside of you and in this moment, he's calling it out of you and saying, place it at my feet. He did it all for you. How can we not give it all to him? Pray a prayer like something, something like, Jesus, I'm yours. I've tried this on my own and I realized today I just haven't seen you as savior. I've only seen you as Lord having to do rules, but I realize now that I missed the first step. I didn't realize your grace. I didn't realize how, how big of a deal this is. And God, right now I surrender to that. And God, I pray that you would forgive me 
of my sin that I was born with, that you'd forgive that, and that God, you would clothe me in a righteousness that I have nothing to do with. I thank you for it. I receive it freely. God, I pray that right now you would fill me with something new. Fill me with your presence, your spirit, your thinking. God, let me walk out of this place seeing things differently. God, living a life that's holy because you're holy. And God, I believe that you are gonna start a process inside of me, making me holy. I surrender to it. God, I pray for your protection upon my life, upon my family. Guide me in truth, in Jesus' name. Come on, right now, I just wanna pray for all of us because this message of reconciliation, the stories that we have, the theology and the understanding of who God is that we have, all of this comes together and we are equipped to go and be Christ's ambassador. So right now, let's all open up our hearts to this. Say, God, I give you my life afresh and anew. God, I surrender my story. I surrender my thinking. I surrender my understanding to you. And God, I pray that you continue to work in me, continue to draw me by your kindness that, that led me to repentance, that by your kindness, you would continue to lead me into holiness and to lead me into Christ-likeness. And one of these scenarios, one of these, these, these parts is going and bringing this message. So God, I pray that you fill us with your power, with your spirit to go and serve you well by serving others, to serve you well, to bring you honor and glory by going and being bold in our proclamation of faith. God, would you help us to lead in love, to lead with the message of reconciliation. God, we know the message of destruction. God, we, we see that, we know that. But God, would you show us the ways that we can use your goodness like you say that you do to lead people to repentance. We open up our hearts to that. Change our thinking. Continue to mess with us, God. We pray that as we go into this next month dealing in the book of Romans, God, we pray that you would continue. God, the areas that we are wrong in, that our thinking has been wrong, would you continue to correct those? We open up our hearts to you as a church. Lead us and guide us into truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen. Northwood Church is one church with multiple locations. Uh, we have locations in Gulfport, Wiggins, and in Long Beach, and we'd love to see you there. If you enjoyed this message and want to get more info on who we are, just head over to northwood.tv. Uh, once you're there, you can check out all of our past sermons and all the things we're doing in South Mississippi and even give to support those efforts of reaching more people. Be sure to connect with us on social media to stay up to date with everything happening around Northwood Church. And uh, look, thanks for watching. We hope to see you soon.